It's, uh, I'd like to say thank you to Trevor as well for the gracious shout out. People used to make fun of me and they always said I had a big head. So I don't know how much bigger it can get with his shout out, but it is a privilege to be here with you this morning. That wasn't a joke. They did used to say that. Hurt my feelings just a little bit. <laughs> it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God because he's good that he's with us in the fire, but he's also with us as we sang earlier in our freedom. Amen. He's with us in the fire, but he's with us in the freedom. It's good to see you. Good morning. Yes, good to see you there. This room keeps filling up, filling up. We're so grateful for that. It's great to be together. And thank you for joining us online. Uh, it's almost been a year since I first stepped into Mount Horeb. Oh, shout out to the back balcony. What do we call those? The upper deck? That's the upper deck. <laughs> the cheap seats. Shout out to you as well. My family's over there. Hello. Um, it's almost been a year since I came as a guest uh, communicator and uh, last October and I, I wore this, I sported this dinosaur shirt and uh, in between services someone said, I didn't even know there was dinosaurs on that shirt. And uh, I, I've been getting a little chatter in the last few weeks uh, uh, and some murmuring and some whispering about, hey, when's he going to bring back that dinosaur shirt? And I'm not making it up. I heard that. So I was like, oh, this is a good opportunity to bring back the dinosaur shirt. That way, if the sermon goes south, you can always leave and be like, well, at least he has the dinosaur shirt going for him. <laughs> I don't even know what that joke means. You're going to have to figure it out for me and let me know. We are in a series called Resilient. We're looking at how to be spiritually nimble, how to be spiritually flexible, how to dance well with the curveballs that life throws us, and it will throw us some curveballs. How do we bounce back? And we're in the story of Joseph, and we see that Joseph was resilient in the middle of his family dysfunction, that he outdreamed it. He didn't let that derail his dreams. And we see that he was resilient in the middle of temptation when he was alone and maybe nobody would have even known. He resisted temptation in Potiphar's house. And last week, Bryce talked to us about being resilient at the bottom and being in prison. He didn't turn bitter, although he was forgotten and felt forsaken. And today we're going to look at being resilient at the top. What does it look like to be resilient at the top? Joseph is going to be promoted to power in Egypt. And how does he do it well? I had a conversation with my kids recently. Uh, probably it was a debate over dessert. These are regular occurrences in our houses. Like how much dessert do we get? Um, does everybody get it? Um, does anyone need to make a quick dash to the store to get some ice cream because dad needs some dessert? And we were in this debate about it, and uh, one of the kids piped up and says, I can't wait to be an adult. And I knew where this was going, but I wanted to tease it out anyways. And I was like, oh, well, why can't you wait to be an adult? And they were like, when you're an adult, you get to do whatever you want, and you can stay up as late as you want and eat all the ice cream you want. And I get grumpy and go to bed about nine o'clock. So I was like, I know you're not talking about me. You must be talking about your mother. And she wasn't here this morning. So I picked on her a little bit at nine o'clock, but she's here to defend herself at 1045. So I'm gonna pick on her a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? She's a sweets monster. Does anybody know a sweets monster? Maybe you're sitting next to a sweets. Maybe you are a sweets monster. You live on sugar. You think it's a basic food group. Um, if you leave pie or cake or dessert or anything out on the counter, if our great Dane Chewbacca doesn't get to it first, my wife's going to handle it. She's going to take care of it. And in the morning, we're going to wake up and be like, where did it go? And she's going to have that guilty look on her face. And uh, <laughs> it's a regular occurrence. Sorry, sweetheart. I love you. Our kids said, I want to be an adult. 
Like, do whatever I want, like you guys. I want to be in charge. I want to be at the top. Why? Why do you want to be in charge? Why do you want to be at the top? What are you going to do when you are at the top? What are you going to do when you are in charge? How are you going to handle it? How's that going to go? And it's hard to be at the top. It's tough being at the top. More responsibility comes with being at the top. Some of you who have started school recently, you had more responsibility than you did last year. It's hard. When you're at the top, you have more expectations. People look at you a bit differently. They might scrutinize you more. They might criticize you more. You're in the limelight more, so your actions and your conversations get a bit more noticed. And just look with their Hollywood celebrities and famous people, and I'm not knocking them at all. That's got to be a lot of pressure to live under, but they will tell you if they self-destruct. It's just too much living at the top. It's hard. And some of you say, well, well, that's not me. I'm not at the top. But everybody's at the top in some way, shape, or form. Older siblings are at the top. Upperclassmen are at the top. Parents, teachers, coaches, employers, you're at the top. Everybody who has influence, everybody who exists is at the top in some way. How do we handle it well? What do we need to do in order to not just survive, but to thrive being at the top? Because I would argue this, the greatest test for Joseph was not the dysfunction of his family. The greatest test for Joseph was not being thrown into the pit and sold into slavery. The greatest test for Joseph was not the temptation of Potiphar's wife. The greatest test for Joseph was not to be bitter in the prison when he was forgotten. I would argue that the greatest test for Joseph, hear me carefully, is what was he going to do with his power? And so I want to ask you a question and name a conviction that I want us to guide, guide us through this message. And the question is this, how do you use your power? How do you engage with the power and the influence that you have? And what do you use it for? And the conviction is this, how we use our power is a reflection of how we think God uses his. How we leverage what we have been given is a reflection of how we think God uses his power and they're interconnected. So we're in Genesis 41. We're going to look at what it takes to be resilient at the top. And we've got to explore this question. How do you use your power? And so let's look at Genesis 41 and we're going to see Joseph being resilient at the top. Genesis 41.1, it says this after two whole years, after two whole years, Years, the Hebrew force of this phrase, it's translated a different way in other, other texts, other translations. After two long years, the idea is it's, it's meant to impact the reader with the weight of the timing. But what's the time point for it? It was this. You remember Joseph was in prison and you remember the chief cupbearer and the chief baker had dreams and Joseph interpreted those dreams and the chief uh, baker was executed, but the chief cupbearer was promoted back to power. And Joseph said, hey, when you come back to power, remember me. And Genesis 41 starts with after two whole years. But you know what else? We don't exactly know how long Joseph was in prison before that. 
We don't exactly know how long Joseph was in Potiphar's house. We don't exactly know the timeline from when he got the dreams to his brother's jealousy overflowed into murder and threw him into the pit. We don't exactly know that. We have a little bit of time to work with, and it's, scholars think it's something like this, that he was given the dreams at about 17 years of age, and at the, towards the middle of Genesis 41, we find out that he was 30 years old when he was promoted to power. 13 years. 13 years before things start to really come into fruition. What's going on? This is what's going on. It's probably the most important lesson today. He is being prepared to use his power. He's in the preparation process. He has to go through the preparation process. And he spends 13 years going through this preparation. Moses, he was 40 when the bush was burning. And he was called to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. He was 80 when it happened. 40 years of preparation. David, he was anointed king. About 15 years later, he actually took the throne. He needed to have a time of preparation. What was Jesus doing for 30 years before he launched his public ministry? Emotionally, at the maturity, arguably, of a 50-year-old today, he was being prepared. And we have to go through a same process of being prepared to steward our power well. Look at Psalm 105, 19. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. This is the psalmist reflecting back on Genesis saying, it wasn't time yet. He wasn't ready. Can you imagine putting him in a position of power when he first had the dream? That's a disaster. He's not ready. And we're being made ready as well. We have to go through the preparation process, but in a world that today wants everything fast and famous, become an instant YouTube star, become instantly famous, it's really difficult to go through the preparation process. We often don't have the patience to go through the preparation process. There is a lot of alliteration that I can do with this. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, the letter P, there's just so much you can do with it. And I hope Pastor Jeff is smiling ear to ear because I know that man loves alliteration. We have to have patience to go through the process. And one of the greatest mistakes, one of the greatest mistakes in our desire to get to the top is we often want to pass over the preparation. We want to pass it over, but it's the most important work. We want a plan, but God wants to prepare us for a purpose. We want a plan, but God wants to prepare us for a purpose. I want a plan. I want a plan. When, 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 when can I stop wearing the masks? I want a plan, right? When can our kids go back to five days of school? I want a plan because they started hybrid two weeks ago and there was wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth and several panic attacks. And that was just the adults. <laughs> I haven't even got to them. I want a plan. You want a plan. And understandably, Joseph didn't have a timeline for this though. He didn't know if it was two years. We get that knowledge. He didn't have that knowledge. He didn't know if it was going to be 20 more years. We want a plan, and maybe we're barely hanging on to a promise, but God gives us a higher purpose. I'm preparing you for something. You see, that process isn't meant to be passive. We don't just say, oh, I have nothing to do here. I'm just waiting. No, 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 no. The waiting process is practice. Joseph was practicing in Potiphar's house. Joseph was practicing in the prison, and now he's going to put to practice what he was already practicing in the palace. We need the preparation. It's in the preparation that we're learning to trust God. Hear me carefully. It's in the preparation that God is learning if he can trust us. Ooh, 
that's a good one. A shout out to Pastor Jeff for that one. He, he teed me up with that, and I just hit it. <clears throat> there, was a, there was a young singer, and she stood on stage in front of a large audience and sang an aria, a solo of an opera. And the composer happened to be in the audience, and she sang, and she sang it perfectly. It was impeccable, intonation, rhythm, everything. It was just a beautiful performance. And someone leaned over after the performance to the composer and said, well, what did you think? And he said, well, she sang it perfectly, but she will be really great when something happens to break her heart. It's in the preparation that God is breaking our heart. A.W. Tozier said, I doubt whether God can bless a person greatly until they have been deeply wounded. And friends, as much as we don't want to admit, we know deep in our soul that's very true. That God uses the preparation process and he breaks our hearts in the middle of it. And maybe, just maybe, when you don't have a plan and you're barely hanging on to a promise, you are being prepared. You're in a relationship and the engagement hasn't come. You're being prepared. You're in engagement and the wedding hasn't come. You're being prepared. You're a student waiting on what to do next. You're being prepared. You are waiting on the promotion that you were promised. You're being prepared. Your heart is breaking. You're being prepared. How will you handle it? James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let, allow, yield, surrender, cooperate, all in this word let. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I think most of the time in this preparation season, All that God really asks of us is just to get out of the way. Just to cooperate with his purposes. You know, Trevor talked a few weeks ago in our series called Tough Talks about tough talks with self. And maybe we need to have a tough talk with self that goes something like this. Um, Self, excuse me, I don't mean to be rude, but could you please get out of the way? And we're our own worst enemies and we can get in our own way. And God is saying, will you allow me to work in this preparation process so that you might know how to handle power. And so Genesis 41, one, you're like, man, you just got through four words in like 14 minutes. Are you really gonna finish the whole chapter? Some of you getting nervous. Yeah, we're gonna finish the whole chapter. Buckle up, buttercup. We're gonna get it done. The rest of our 41, one says this, hey, after four whole, or two whole years, Pharaoh had a dream. And he had a dream that he was standing by the Nile and seven fat cows came out of the Nile and they were standing there. And then after that, seven lean and gaunt cows came out of the Nile and the seven lean and gaunt cows committed cow cannibalism and they ate the seven fat cows and that woke Pharaoh up, that wake me up too. And so he goes back to sleep and there's another dream and there's seven healthy ears of grain and then there's seven unhealthy ears of grain and the unhealthy ears of grain eat the seven healthy ears and that wakes Pharaoh up and Pharaoh is disturbed in his spirit and he's like, what's going on? And so he calls together all of his counsel and all of his magicians and wise men, as the text says, and his, um, he calls together his Egyptian scholars and they're well-versed in their folklore and says, I need somebody to interpret this dream, and none of them can interpret the dream. It's a bit of a foreshadowing of God conquering the gods of Egypt in the Exodus when they can't replicate God's power 
All the wise and learned in Egypt can't do it. It's foreshadowing that. Until, until the chief cupbearer, Pharaoh Somalier. That's right. Would you think I'd never been to a fancy restaurant or something? The chief cupbearer, the wine guru, says, oh, yeah, 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 Pharaoh, wait a second. I remember now. I remember. I don't know how he forgot this. I remember we were in prison, me and the cupbearer. We had dreams, and there was this Hebrew in there, and he, he told us exactly what our dreams were, and they both came to pass. You remember when you executed the one guy? Here I am here. And Pharaoh says, well, bring him to me. And so they go to get Joseph, and the Bible says that they had, Joseph had to be cleaned up, and he had to shave. Can you imagine that? I don't know how long he was in prison, but he had to take a bath, and he had to shave his face, and he had to put on aftershave, that brute aftershave. Maybe he had some of that. Anybody have that growing up? That stuff was grody. I don't even know what was in it. We had some in our bathroom. Uh, growing up, I had three brothers. We had some in our bathroom, and I would put that stuff on. See, I was under this misconception as a young man that if you put on cologne and aftershave, there was some magic formula to it, and the girls would just flock to you, right? And so I put that stuff on real heavy, and they never came around. And I think that I thought I smelled good, and them and their parents probably thought, what's this boy been drinking? And so Joseph has to put on this, uh, he has to get ready, put on aftershave, get all nice and clean. He shows up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dreams and he says, can you interpret it? And look at verse 16. Joseph says, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. Mm, I cannot do it. The preparation had worked. You see, there's an ego in check in the conversation. We're a long ways away from 17 with, hey, brothers and mother and father, I got this dream. We're a long way away from that. And he's being prepared to steward his power. He says, I can't do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And if we're going to be resilient at the top, we have to understand that power is for God promotion and not self-promotion. It's for God promotion and not self-promotion. You notice what Joseph didn't do? There's so much we can learn about the silence of the Bible sometimes. What Joseph didn't do, he didn't say, well, you know what? I'm glad I was remembered. Hey, thanks for that, Chief Cupbearer. You remember when I interpreted? I said, don't forget me, and you just now remembered me. And guess what? I interpreted those two dreams perfectly, and they both came to pass. So absolutely, I'm going to help Pharaoh out. But you know what? Let's talk about the whole prison situation. Like, can we do something there? If I interpret this favorably, can you do something there? Didn't do any of that. He's not about self-promotion. He's not about likes. He's not about ego strokes. He's about God promotion. And he says, uh, I can't do it, but God can. And God will speak through me. Power is for God promotion, not self-promotion. And when we understand that, we start to recognize where everything really comes from. That it's all a gift of grace. And we start inviting people into that conversation and skillfully and winsomely and attractively, we start to talk about God in such a way that makes other people want to think freshly and think in new ways about God and maybe reconsider how to be in relationship with this God of the universe. And we learn that power is for promoting his name, not ourselves. Look at verse 28, and we got a, quite a chunk of text to read here. So, so Joseph goes on. He says, it's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. 
Then all of the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And God, by God, God will do it. God will give you the the answer he, he desires. You see, it's for God promotion. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. This plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? You see, even a pagan ruler with pagan gods who worshiped regularly at pagan temples, when, people, when the people of God start to steward their power well, others take notice. What's going on with them? That's an attractive use of power. How do we, how do we get a part of that? I want some of that. And Pharaoh says, yeah, I can't find anyone like you in all my land. And then Pharaoh says to Joseph in 39, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Verse 41, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. I love that line. Joseph's an O-T-O-G. Some of you will get that later. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and his people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph had been prepared and he had responded well and he knew that power was for God promotion and not self-promotion but he also knew how to be resilient at the top and he knew that power is for serving. Power is for serving. It's for serving others. Protecting weak, vulnerable, the outcast. It's for serving those in our communities, in our family in our business. Look at verse 36. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Joseph didn't worship their gods and yet he wanted to serve his God by serving them. And he did it well and he said, you know what? I don't want to see parents make a tough decision between which kid to feed. I don't want to see livestock going to waste and livelihoods going down the drain. And I don't want to see the elderly waste away before their time because there's a famine. And so Joseph said, what we need to do, Pharaoh, is we need to, God's given us the dream, but it stops there. And then Joseph makes, makes a strategy. He says, here's what we need to do with our power. We need to prepare and serve. We're going to serve. Being resilient at the top means the position serves the purpose. He wasn't confused. Joseph was not confused. He did not lose sight of his purpose. He did not let the position confuse the purpose, which is one of the great temptations of power. You see, I don't think God is opposed to success. I really don't. 
I don't think God is opposed to success. We're very successful people in this room, in this country. There's successful people all over the world. I don't think God is opposed to it. I think the challenge we often run into is go something like this. We think that the top of the ladder is the end of the ladder. We think that that is the point to arrive. We think that the position all along is the point. And Joseph teaches us, no, 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 no. You're supp- there's something after that. It's even greater. It's even more fulfilling. It's a grander purpose that you are supposed to leverage your position for a higher purpose and serve. Some of you know that secret all too well. And you're living a f- very fulfilled, joy-filled lives. Being resilient at the top means the position serves the purpose. Some of us have been confused and we thought, oh, I got the position. That's end game. No, it's not. It's just started. Now you get to leverage your position to serve. I love what I love what Joseph has. I love what Joseph has. He doesn't have entitlement. He doesn't have entitlement, but he does have what I like to call appropriate deservability. You see, he says, "Hey Pharaoh, these dreams are going to happen, and uh, let Pharaoh pick someone wise and discerning." He doesn't have entitlement, but he does have appropriate deservability. No, no, no. This is what I was meant for. I'm going to step into this purpose well. I'm going to step into this position well. And maybe some of you are on the other side of the conversation and you haven't stepped into your position. Maybe you're afraid. You're afraid to really dream out loud. You're afraid to really say your desires out loud because you're afraid of how people are going to perceive you. Maybe you feel small. And that feeling of smallness has always haunted you and you have a position, but you haven't really stepped into it to leverage it for power because you feel so small. Maybe you feel unworthy and those feelings of unworthiness just hold you back and keep you trapped in a prison and you have the position, but you haven't leveraged it for power. Or maybe it's your past mistakes. Maybe you've had a misuse of power and it makes you really nervous to go forward. We were sitting around the dinner table uh, years ago. My children were younger, and we're sitting around having dinner, and uh, we had just bought our son, Boaz, a uh, Lightning McQueen swim shirt. He couldn't say Lightning McQueen. He called him Lightning McFeen, and he loved the show Cars, and so he had this Lightning McFeen swim shirt on, and he put it on, and he was so proud to wear it, and he put it on and sitting at the table, but me and my wife looked at it, and we were just like, oh, it's a little tight. Like, don't you think it's tight? You know, this conversation go like should we keep it should we take it back get a bigger size we're like yeah it's pretty tight we probably need to take it back and get a bigger size it's like choking his arms out right and we're just like hey Boaz why don't you take the shirt off and we'll take it back and get you a bigger size he's two or three years old he can't compute that and he's just like no I don't want to take the shirt off and I'm like hey man don't get any food on it we don't want to ruin the shirt because we actually want to get you a bigger size so go ahead and take the shirt off and he says no And me and him battle back and forth for a little bit until finally I lose my patience and I step over there and I grab the shirt and I pull it off of him and I throw it on the ground. Only it was a little too harsh. You know what I mean? A little too fast, a little too aggressive. And I saw his shoulders kind of slump in in self-protection. And I thought, oh, Chad, that's a misuse of power in your position. That's a misuse. And I shrunk back and I went to shame and I went to guilt. Oh, what kind of father are you? Oh, you're, you work at a church. How dare you ever do something like that? Or guess what my family needed from me in that moment? They didn't need me to shrink back in shame. I had a position 
And they needed me to show up and step into my position to re-step into it, to seek God's forgiveness and to go to my son and to repent to him and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? That's what my family needed me to do. You see, we fall off the apple cart in two different ways with power. We can abuse power or we can be absent from power. And the gospel invites us to neither of those. It invites us to steward power well and to share it well. And some of you, maybe because of mistakes or because of certain feelings of unworthiness, you haven't stepped into your position. The world is not a better place for it, friends. Please step into your position and leverage your power for serving. I love this line. And if you're taking notes, I invite you to write it down. God is not threatened by making significant creatures. He's not threatened by making significant creatures. He wants you to shine. He wants you to step up and step in. And we don't do anybody any favors by shying away. And God says power is for serving. And if we're going to be resilient at the top, we know it's not only for serving, but we know power is for sharing. Power is for sharing. Look at verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. Do you see this? Do you see Joseph knew? I can't do this alone. And me and you can't do this alone. We're going to need a team. We're going to need a team that we can trust. We're going to need good people. We're going to need to delegate. We're going to need to pass on responsibility and see how they're doing because the, the wisdom of the collective is greater than the wisdom of the individual. And Joseph teaches us that, that, there, that, that power is actually for sharing with others. And one of the most refreshing things in this story right here in Genesis 41 is that Pharaoh gets that too. And he promotes a foreigner and a ex-con to prime minister and says, nope, something about you, whatever it is about you, we need that. We need more of that in Egypt. And they share their power. And then they invite others to share their power. You see, I think one of the temptations is when we get to be captain of the team or we get to call the shots or we get to say what the family's eating for dinner on family night or what game we're going to play or what movie we're going to see or where we're going to go on vacation or how the team's going to run certain plays. I think one of the dangers is we think, oh, all of the pressure's on me. I've got to make all the decisions. That's not true. Studies show that you get more buy-in from people around strategic ideas if you invite them into the decision-making process. They own it more. They want to be a part of it. They take more responsibility with it. So I don't know what this looks like for you, but how can others come into this process with you? What power do you have to share? That's hard though. It pushes on our ego. That's why we got to go back through that preparation process well, because we want to sometimes be the one. Well, I, I get credit for the decision, right? No, the team does. The team does. That's why I love on, on our preaching staff, preaching rotation, you won't find one person up here on repeat because there's a distribution of power and we're all a team. And what's a win for one person is a win for another. What's a win for me is a win for Trevor and vice versa. You see what I'm saying? And so we distribute power and delegate and we say, it's not about me, but the team wins. That's a good thing. Jesus showed us this. He showed us this in John 14. Astonishing statement. He said, um, Greater things are you going to do than me. Greater things. Spirit's going to come. He's going to fill you with power. 
You'll do greater things. I'm not threatened by that. There's no ego in God. How refreshing is that? Greater things. Go for it. Win for you is a win for me. I'd love to champion you and encourage you and see you succeed. Go for it. And Jesus shares power. You see, I don't, I don't actually know if it's power that corrupts. Being at the top's hard. Having power's hard. But I, I wonder if there's another ingredient there. The fear of losing power. I think that twists things. Being afraid to share it. And if we're going to be resilient at the top, we are not going to fear the loss of power, but we're going to feel free to empower. How do we help others catch the vision, steward the mission? How do we invite others into that place? You know, I wonder if we would have recognized Joseph if he would have come into church. I wonder if we would have recognized him. He is one of the most powerful rulers in the country. He would have showed up likely with a suit on, not from Brooks Brothers. Nothing against Brooks Brothers. I got my shirt from Toys R Us. He would have showed up in a convoy of black Mercedes Benz, Rolex on his hand. He would have had a large estate. He would have had people working for him under his command. Would we have recognized Joseph if he walked in church? And what would we have done when he did walk in church? You see, when I was younger, I used to view people with wealth and power with suspicion. I used to think, I don't know, is, does God really want that? Is that really how it's supposed to work? Like, does God really want to have that house and that car and that money and that wealth? And I judged them. And I was wrong. Would we recognize Joseph if he came in? He leveraged his power for serving. He leveraged his power for sharing. And in the New Testament, there was wealth in the churches. I know sometimes we get this crazy notion that the New Testament church was like Acts 2, where it was kind of communistic and everybody just sold things and gave things away to each other. Friend, Acts 2 lasted for about one chapter, and then came Acts 3 and 4. You know what I'm saying? There's a great persecution, and then all the churches get scattered out. Guess what? Philippi is a very wealthy church, extremely wealthy church. Lydia was there, a very successful businesswoman. Timothy is a young pastor, and he has a wealthy church. And listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. He never condemns them for their wealth. He challenges all of us to look at our greed. And the only answer to greed is generosity. One of the amazing things, and I'm new to Mount Horeb, and so I'm still learning stories about past and what God is doing and people. And one of the amazing gifts that we get is we get to come together in this room, in this incredible worship center. And we have music that we can hear really well. And we have screens that we can see really well. And they help us. They don't distract us, but they enhance. And people at home are online and they can hear and they can see really well. And we get to worship together with very minimal distractions. And guess who made that possible? The positions of Mount Horeb community who had wealth and status and power. And guess what they did? They shared it. I celebrate that. That's beautiful. It's brilliant. I don't think we talk about that enough. The Bible doesn't condemn people for wealth. It asks them to be considerate how they can continue to be generous. And they're doing it in such a way that I couldn't do. I'm playing my part. They're playing their part. A win for them is a win for me and vice versa. You see? And Joseph knew that. And Joseph knew that power was for sharing. 
And so Joseph is second in command, and he's ruling over Egypt, and we'll be done in just a second. He's ruling over Egypt, and all these dreams come to pass, and the famine comes to pass. Seven years, they take Joseph's command, and they store up all the grain. And then when that seven years is over, seven years of abundance, seven years of famine comes, and sure enough, it happens. But guess what? God provided. And they go to the storehouses, and Joseph tells them how much to take, and livestock are provided for, and families are provided for, and elderly are provided for. And this is how the end of the chapter goes. Verse 57, and people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. Sound familiar? A lone Hebrew in a pagan nation being lifted up in the middle of a world and global crisis so that he might be a provider and and offer salvation. You see, the things we love about Joseph are actually the things we love about Jesus. That God shares his power and he's happy to do it. That God uses his power to serve. Jesus says, this is what it's like to be a citizen of the kingdom. It's not about a throne, but a towel. And he took off his outer garment, he took a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. And God went through a preparation process. He went to the cross and he suffered and he paid the price for you and me so that we might be able, when the time comes, to steward our power well. You see, one of the ways that Joseph was able to do this is because he had about 13 to 15 years practicing self-denial. That's why we get empowered. Just as Jesus went to the cross and showed us what to do with power, we are invited every day to take up our cross and be empowered by God for self-sacrifice, to lay our ego down, to lay our pride down, to be ready and reflective on how can we serve today? How can we look out for others today? How can we help them win? We learn it's not about winning, but a wash basin. It's that God that's a bit shy to use his power and invites us into relationship. And if you're anything like me, I have things that I need to learn about God and I have things I need to unlearn about God. And maybe that's a part of God that just turned you off for so many years. And maybe God is inviting you to reconsider how he actually uses his power. He's... He's the most powerful person in the world and he's the safest person in the world we could ever be in relationship with. He'll never abuse his power. He'll never manipulate. He'll never coerce. He will never force himself into our lives. He doesn't kick down the door, but he does knock at it. It says, I am inviting you into new life, into new ways of viewing me and others in the world. Do you want some of that? That's a God who knows how to use his power. That's why we worship him and lift him up. Let's pray together. Father, I just have to say you're so beautiful. I'm taken aback for the way that you have revealed yourself. God, for the way that you speak to us, never condemning, 
never criticizing, always invitational. I'm taken aback for a God who uses his power to go to the cross. I'm taken aback by a God who says, would you like new life? I'd like to give it to you. I'm taken aback by a God who could pull rank, but he never does. Father, teach us. Some of us today, maybe we've misused our power and it's time to turn and repent and step back into that position and use that to leverage a higher purpose. Some of us today, we have maybe spent 20, 30 years in a position, but not really living into it. Give us courage. Give us empowerment to step fully into that so that the world might know who you are. Thank you for these precious people. Continue to guide us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.